Hello and welcome to Human Together, where each week we talk about the communal life. This is a podcast for people who agree it is not good to be alone, but still secretly wonder whether it might be easier. Here we navigate the intersection of faith, belonging, and being an actual person. So welcome. I'm glad you're here. I am your host, Sarah E. Westfall, and in this week's conversation, I am joined by Jessica Herberger. Jessica is a writer and Bible teacher who delights in connecting faith, history, and human flourishing. She is the author of three books, Break Bread Together, Life Surrendered, and most recently, Peace in the Dark. Jess is the host of an online community, The Table, as well as co-founder of the women's ministry, Seasons Northeast. She lives with her husband, Josh, and their three kids in upstate New York. At the time this episode releases, we have just entered the Lenten season, that period in the church calendar between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. And having had the advanced opportunity to read and endorse Jessica's latest book, Peace in the Dark, I knew I wanted to have her join me for a conversation, not only about the significance of Lent, something that I'm still learning about, but also what it looks like to navigate the dark seasons of our lives. You'll catch most of our conversation here, but if you're interested in the extended episode with Jessica, featuring some bonus conversation where we dig in a little deeper, I invite you to become a paid subscriber to Human Together on Substack. Not only will you be able to listen to the extended versions of each episode and support the podcast, helping us keep it ad-free, but you'll also gain access to regular essay series and our monthly book club. You can find all those details, including opportunities for complimentary subscriptions at sarahewestfall.substack.com. Okay, let's get started. Here is season one, episode four with Jessica Herberger. Jess, it's so good to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for saying yes. Oh, I'm so thrilled to have been asked and so happy to be here. It's fun to finally be able to sit down and have a conversation because you and I have connected through different mediums in the past, but voice and being able to see your face and your movements makes all the difference in the world. I agree. It's so good. Imagine that on a podcast (laughs) about being human together. So exactly. Goodness. Well, I know I read your bio before we jumped into the conversation, but tell me a little bit, just what does a day in the life of Jess look like? Like what is kind of your normal when you're not launching a book, maybe? (laughs) Yeah. Launching a book is there's nothing normal there. I homeschool our three kids. And so our day is sort of filled with bits and bops of that. I'm also in seminary myself. So I've got my own schooling that gets mushed in the mix there. Besides that, we've got a adorable mini golden doodle who takes up all of our time and attention. And so we are playing with Winston and taking him for walks. And I love to cook and bake. And so that sort of gets all mixed in. It's a fun, busy life, but not a lot of routine. (laughs) Yeah. You live in, is upstate New York? Am I, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Outside of Albany. Is that always been like where you grew up around or? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I actually live right now in my childhood home. And so my daughter is sleeping in my childhood bedroom. Okay. What is that like? It's crazy. So we moved here to take care of my mom 16 years ago. And 
so I had obviously moved out and launched into the world, but then came back to take care of my mom. And as it turns out, we stayed for 13 years taking care of my dad and brother and then have raised a family in the midst of it. And so it's a really sweet thing of having a home full of lots of my own memories, but then also sort of reclaiming the home as our own and for our family. And so it's bittersweet. It's an interesting way to to settle in. Yeah, we live right now about 30 minutes south of my childhood home. And there's one home in particular, the earliest home that I can remember. And my family always makes fun of me because whenever we're near that town, I always like to still drive down that Wilson Street. Totally. And I have to stop and just like mm-hmm. take my my moment and my family's like, what is your deal with this house, yeah. Sarah? And, but I always know, like in my brain, it will not have the same like romantic nostalgia if I were to move back. Yeah. I assume it wouldn't, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there would still be some measure of, of that old magic. I don't know. It's some yes and some no. Uh, depends on the day and the season that we're in, where there is a real sweetness to it, especially with my parents both being deceased. So it's a way for my kids to know my mom, who they never got to meet, and to remember my dad, who they got to grow up with. And so in that way, it's a really sweet gift for our family to have roots when there's not a lot of actual family to help us be rooted. And so yeah. it, it's a beautiful provision for right now. It's great. Yeah. What was it like for for you and for your kids to to grow up caregiving for mm-hmm. for your your father? It's a good question. It was beautiful. Mm. Hard. Being a caregiver for my mom was really easy. She had brain cancer and so I took care of her as a primary caregiver for 13 months. I was pregnant with our son at the the end of it. That felt a lot easier. I don't know if it's because it was my mom. The need was so evident. Taking care of my dad was different. He had a brain injury for the most part. And so recovering from a stroke long-term. And so there were days where he was almost independent, but not. And then obviously as the years went on, it became less and less so. What's happened for my kids is they've grown up visiting nursing homes and hospitals. They think nothing of hanging out with people of different generations. They don't notice um, people's limitations. They just sort of accept. And it's a really beautiful thing that they've grown up that way. It meant a lot of hard choices for Josh and I, my husband. So we didn't often relate to people our own age because while we had toddlers, we also had my brother in college and my dad who we were taking care of. And so that part of it was hard. We sort of felt like we were always in different worlds all at the same time. But overall, it was such a beautiful way to live and to raise our kids. So one of the reasons I wanted to ask is because I grew up with my grandparents living with Mm -hmm. us and eventually built a house right next door to us. And my mom was primary caregiver for them. But I remember as a kid, not always having the best attitude about that situation. And, you know, the amount, I was a firstborn, so amount of responsibility Mm -hmm. that I had to take on with my other siblings and in the home. But looking back at it now in my 40s, what a beautifully hard, but beautiful formative season that was Mm -hmm. that I think I might've chosen differently at the time. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I certainly would not have now. And it's a really unique experience, I think. Yeah, that's right. It is. And it's so countercultural. I think we often don't have vernacular to talk about it with other people. But I think that that's such an indicator that it's a really beautiful way to go because so many things that are countercultural are really much more how we are ought to do things. And so because of that, it's just been a gift, like looking back on it now. So my dad passed away in 2019. That really ended our caretaking season for the most part. And so it's been a few years now where we've gotten some space and we also just didn't know any different. 2019 with three kids was the first time Josh and I really were only in charge of just the five of us. And so we don't have a paradigm for any other way to be parents or even spouses. I mean, it was pretty close to our early marriage years, maybe two years in when all this started. So it's really just been how we've moved through adulthood and so beautiful but so hard. And when you don't know any different, I think that's sort of just a fair assessment of it is that it's both. Well, I think that this is a really good segue into begin talking about yeah. your latest book that just came out, Peace in the Dark. Tell us a little bit just about the book. And then I, I have I have my follow-up questions for sure. sure. <laughs> yeah. Peace in the Dark is technically the third book in a series. Each book is standalone. And Peace in the Dark looks at the quiet hours between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. It was the book that we didn't know what to do with as far as myself and the publisher, but I felt a deep call to really examine those hours and sort out what is there for us today. I love Holy Week so much after having studied it for so many years, and I've come to believe that there is nothing accidental about each one of those hours. And if that's so, there has to be something there for us in what appears to be emptiness. And that's really what Peace in the Dark looks at is what is there in what appears to be empty and how does that relate to our lives? We all have seasons where it feels empty or quiet, where we're waiting, where things have gone wrong but are not yet right. And the answer to that, what do we do? How do we move forward? How do we live a good life before us? is actually found there. It looks empty, but it's not. It's so full of goodness. And that's what the book tries to sort it out. So it sounds like this in-depth look at Holy Saturday is yes, about kind of the season that we are we are now in, entering into moving toward Easter, but it is also metaphorical. Is that yes, correct? That's absolutely correct. Yeah. Yeah. I did not grow up with a deep familiarity with like the church calendar outside mm -hmm. of Easter and Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so for those of us who are like, okay, you're talking about Lent and the mm -hmm. Holy Saturday, these might not be totally familiar words. So can you mm -hmm. give us the just version of what, what, do, what does this mean? Sure. So Holy Week is the time between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. It's the last week of Jesus's life on earth as we knew it before he is crucified and then when he rises on Easter. And so those days are a really rich time with scripture, with actual history, and then with application for all of us today. And so that's the time frame we're looking at. And Holy Saturday specifically 
is that day in between. And we use the word day, but the Jewish calendar at the time was really sundown to sundown. And so Holy Saturday technically starts Friday for us because it starts, you know, sort of six o'clock or so on Friday and it goes till six o'clock on Saturday. And so that 24 hour span of what appeared to be quiet and empty within the Bible, it is said it is a Sabbath and that's it. We know the women were burying the body of Jesus with Joseph, Nicodemus. So we know that that was happening. And then we sort of don't hear anything until Easter morning. And that time frame, sometimes called Silent Saturday or Holy Saturday, is scripturally the basis of what we're looking at. And so that's the time frame. I also didn't grow up really familiar with the liturgical calendar, except for the, I was steeped in Catholic culture around me, but didn't, that wasn't my faith history personally. And I often thought that that type of thinking, talking about Lent, talking about things like Holy Saturday was for other denominations, like specifically and what I've come to learn is that that is not so. And so if this is a season for any of your listeners where they're sort of feeling curious about it, sometimes we just need a permission slip to recognize it's really for all Christians to observe. And certainly all people, when you think of it from a historical standpoint, these days are historically verified in a lot of amazing ways as well. And so I think that it's an interesting and really helpful thing to know that this is for all of us to examine because I think there's application for all of us. What is it that you hope people take away from, from peace in the dark, but also mm -hmm. from just experiencing Holy Saturday in and of itself? I hope that people take away the realization that what looks empty is full, where it looks like God is vacant, he is present where we could feel distress, we actually are invited into peace and comfort. And that all that is there for us when we examine that specific day to apply to our real lives, because we experience Holy Saturday as a concept all the time, mm -hmm. over and over. And God has equipped us for them, for those days. How has this not just become important to you from like a historical scriptural context, but just personally, like what sure. has this meant for you? It's interesting. It's been very comforting in the, what some people might call like more minor Holy Saturdays that I've faced. I'm really good in a crisis. I'm really good at like big trials and trauma. I know how to operate there, but when a friendship dies, when things are not like settled at home, when I'm frustrated that things are not moving at what I deem to be an appropriate pace to restoration, those Holy Saturdays, it's been really helpful for me to recognize that God has equipped us, equipped me with things to do to be faithful, with things to do to hold on to him, um, to see goodness but most of all, just to live a good life in the midst of that, uh, there's a sense of we wait for things to be perfect, for things to be good. And that's not really the life that we are called to live out. And 
that's been really helpful to me because we do, we come back to Holy Saturday moments, sometimes just within a day. Sometimes they are weeks or months at a time where we feel stuck or we're wishing things were different, but they're not yet. And it's been really comforting to me to recognize, oh, there's, there's things I can do to remind myself. There are things I can do to feel God's comfort and presence. And that's just a real gift. And I think it's the gift of Holy Saturday of understanding it. And I hope that as people read and even just consider on their own what that empty space in that calendar might mean, the calendar of Easter, that they also see a goodness and a provision there. Yeah. I think the temptation both in, you know, that Good Friday to to Easter is to kind mm-hmm. of skip over yeah. Holy Saturday. And I, I see that even same tendency in myself and in other people that when something difficult happens, whether that is capital D difficult or right. lowercase d difficult, that yeah. we want to skip through the in-between. We want to mm-hmm. skip and get get to the other side more quickly. Yeah. So it's really, you talk a lot about paradox or write a lot about paradox in your book, both as a place, like an actual physical place, but also just the concept of being in paradox. Mm-hmm. I would say a lot of us, if not most of us, aren't comfortable living in that tension and that in-between. And so like like we said, rushing through it, avoiding yeah. it, entertaining ourselves to be distracted from it. Mm-hmm. But you're inviting us to sit in it to wait. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And part of us wants to say, no, like I don't want to do that. That sounds horrible. Why is it so important? Why is it important to actually be in it? To welcome paradox is to actually welcome, I think, living out what it is to be in the kingdom of God here and now. We are in the in-between and pretending we're not actually makes things far more difficult for ourselves. If we are brave enough, bold enough to sit in the paradox and to welcome it as an invitation, that's where the light is in the dark. That is where we feel comfort and peace in the unimaginable. Paradox can be a beautiful, good thing too. We just have to welcome it first to experience all that goodness that can come and the formation that comes I liken it to climbing a mountain. We love the precipice. We want to see the beautiful views from the top of the mountain. And that is good. But there's very little formation that actually happens at the top. The formation happens in the in-between. The hiking up. The pushing through. The being patient. The grumbling and complaining, which is really what lament is often. Really, we just don't know how we don't have language for it. So it comes out in different ways. All that is really good stuff that causes us to be connected to God, that causes us to become more like who we are designed to be. And yeah, we get to get to the mountaintop. But the reality is none of us live at the mountaintop. The only way to keep moving forward is we go back down again. And so it's a constant up and down. If we are only expecting the good days, the mountaintops, the Easter's. We miss out on a lot of our actual real lives that are right before us. And it's good in the midst of all the hard, 
it's an invitation that I think we miss because we just don't know how to be patient in tension. And the more we practice that, the better, the more comfortable we get being patient in the tension. That is really the life that most of us are living most of the time. Okay. So you've convinced the listener, I assume (laughs) that this is good, but they're probably asking, okay, but how? Because Mm -hmm. for the listener who's like, okay, I want to be able to live this out, Mm -hmm. but the how part is, is not easily imagined. Yeah. What are some thoughts or ideas you might have for, for ways that we can do that? Yeah. I actually think that is the lesson when we get to the scriptures. There's a lot in a single verse that says, and so they rested because it was the Sabbath, which is what happened on Holy Saturday. There's so much richness there if we just stop and actually consider what that means. And so as is the case with so many things, I find comfort in the example of the disciples, this ragtag group of people who had no business being together, who failed miserably. And it's really helpful to remember they here they are literally walking with Jesus and they failed. So why we think we're supposed to not fail is always beyond me because it's just hard to live out this countercultural, paradoxical, beautiful life of following Jesus. It's not easy, but it's really good. And so go back and look at what they were doing. What do we know? We know they were celebrating the Sabbath and that means they were resting. It means that their practices of spiritual disciplines, such as the Sabbath, were so ingrained in them that on their worst day, they had no choice but to do what they did because it's what they always did. That's really powerful if you break that down. So what are the spiritual practices that we can put in place in our lives now so that on our worst day, they don't disappear, that we just go right back to them, praying, lamenting, Sabbath, gathering together. You know, there's so many good things that happened. Not being afraid of death, looking at the burial, not being afraid to say where you really are and what really happened. And that's why I say this day that we think doesn't have a lot for us. It feels directionless almost. It's not. It's not. We just don't know how to look for it because it's in the dark. And understanding that has been really helpful. There is a lot in scripture. It just feels like there's not a lot in scripture on Holy Saturday. And that's a really good place to start. Yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned the disciples and that group, because Mm -hmm. I think that so often in seasons of darkness, they can be incredibly lonely. Yeah. Um, Or we think that it's something that we ourselves have to shoulder or pull ourselves through or pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, whatever, whatever cliche we want to throw out there. What is the role that the presence of other people play Mm-hmm. in our Holy Saturdays, or even just what has that looked like yeah. for you? Going back to the disciples, one of my favorite discoveries in my years of research on this day in particular, and I've not heard anyone say this or talk about this, is that this day, the quiet, empty day, was the day they all gathered back together. It is the only way to describe the bridge between Friday, where they were scattered, and Easter Sunday morning, where they were all together. That happened. There was a gathering that happened. And I think of Peter. What was he thinking? I mean, not only did the worst thing happen, but to him, there was a sense of responsibility and regret, right? For denying. And still, by Easter morning, he had gathered back with his friends. 
to me, that's the type of community we all are desiring, like deep within us, the kind that says, doesn't matter how we screwed up, doesn't matter what went wrong, doesn't matter how embarrassed we feel by what we've done or how we've responded. The safest place to be is together. That's the kingdom of God. And so for me, remembering that that's part of our comfort is found in each other is really helpful. And also for me, remembering that I want to be the type of person whose door you can knock on, even if you screwed up, because I screwed up too. And so knowing that we can be that for each other is such a comfort. So we need to start there with just this notion of gatherings really really important. I think it's one of the most important things that happened that day, actually. And also that we need to remember the peace that we've, we're desiring is that word that Jesus promises peace, right? To us, he says, in this world, you'll have trouble, but you'll also have peace. That peace, when you break down the root word of it, really means to join together. So often, I personally think that my peace is found alone, And it's not the peace that's been promised to us. The peace that's been promised to us is a peace that comes from being together. And sometimes that requires me pushing through when I think I'd rather be alone and reminding myself the peace that I've been promised isn't found with me burying my head in the sand or in a book or in whatever, you know, it's found in experiencing God's goodness and comfort in the face of a friend. And so I am constantly reminding myself of that goodness so that I don't rob myself of that goodness. And I think that that's a really natural thing that most of us are going to sort of have to combat is the sense of withdrawal where we should be pressing in. So getting to be that for other people and then also recognizing it's such a gift. And I will say, if you're already in that heavy season, it's really hard to cultivate it in that moment. And so recognizing that the togetherness you can feel with Jesus is a real thing too, because those relationships of the disciples were formed for years and were ready for this day. It's hard to build that when you need it. And so to invest when you have the energy and bandwidth is a really good thing too. And then recognizing the friendship of Jesus will carry you through too. Yeah. And I think I would add to just looking back upon my own seasons of my own Holy Saturdays, my mm-hmm. seasons that felt really, really dark. There was a measure of like pride that I had to let go of, of asking yeah. for help, reaching out because there is, there was a part of me that was like, I'm the one hurting other people should be reaching out to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was pride there. There's also some probably just some self-centeredness in that. Mm-hmm. And I had, there was just, it, it was hard, but of learning to say, I do need help with dishes today, or I do need someone to watch our toddler because I'm really struggling just to function, you know, yeah. things like that. And so, yeah. but that's hard. And it also makes us incredibly vulnerable in an already tender season. So I I also recognize that fully. Yeah, it is. It is just hard. And you touched on two things. One is, yes, the vulnerability required, which is 
it's real how scary it is to be actually vulnerable. And I go back to that image of Peter knocking on the door, right? Like waiting to come in to the house to celebrate Sabbath and him recognizing how welcomed he would be on some core level. And we need to recognize that we too will be welcomed on some core level, how we are all beat up and bruised and hurting. And I think that that's a really good reminder. And the other thing is that we all need to just be much more patient with each other and ourselves when going through dark seasons. And again, it's a day, it's a week, it could be years, doesn't matter. But recognizing that there's a sense of we are all operating under this assumption that we all should just get over whatever it is is bothering us. Like there's sort of this underlying thing. And that is not true. And so just to be patient, God calls himself long suffering and he uses it as a positive thing. And we need to recognize that within ourselves too. It's okay to be long suffering. We don't need to get over it quickly. Okay. So for those of us who are are very new to some of these practices and mm-hmm. even knowing what the Last Supper is, right? what resources are available to us to go find those things so that we're not having to spend the next several yeah. days Googling and or checking out books from the library. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's lots of great resources online. One of the cool things we did actually for our order bonuses for Peace in the Dark is I've included all my past Holy Week resources for free. And so that's obviously a great place to go because you'll get all of that. And that's years of practice and honing it in. And it is grab and go. You don't have to do anything except place a grocery order for a few minor things and you'll be good to go. So uh, for sure, sign up for the order bonuses for Peace in the Dark. Besides the Lent study, we've got a ton of Holy Week resources, um, a timeline of Good Friday, which will also just blow your mind, like what was happening hour by hour. Uh, There's a lot of cool stuff in there. Yeah. And I'm very grateful that you have taken all of your years of, of research and experience and package them together because I think sometimes that is the overwhelming thing for some of us who want to engage in the season differently, who want to engage in practices that help us to know how to posture ourselves in the season, Mm -hmm. but it's hard to know where where to start sometimes. At least that's me. I get overwhelmed at the starting line. (laughs) And I think too, I was talking with my daughter just last night about this because she's been trying to read a psalm every night and a proverb every morning and she sort of got off track and was ready to just throw in the towel and I said that's not how this works these are just practices so even as this conversation is being released and Lent has technically started it doesn't mean it's too late to jump in it just means you pick up where you are and you start moving you don't have to make up for anything you don't have to do six proverbs tonight or tomorrow morning or six psalms as my daughter was trying to do you can just show up when you show up and join in and there will be goodness there that's the beauty of doing this without a sense of obligation which is the right posture to have. Practices like Lent are really life-giving and they they should be a bit challenging, but they ought not to be legalistic at all. 
And if that's the place that you're coming from of just, I'm going to try this, it's a really healthy, good place to start. So whenever you're feeling that pull to jump in on a Lent study, whether it's maybe you want to try fasting something, any of those Lenten practices, it's good just to try. There's so much freedom in it. And that's a good thing. That's how it's designed to actually be. I think another guest said this, but it just like, it's called practice for a reason. Yes, that's it. It's so true. We want to be experts. And I think it's easy to throw in the towel when we realize we didn't do something quite the right way. It's a good reminder that these are seasons. I've had seasons where Lent, which is really one of my favorite seasons of the calendar year, has looked like just listening to one album over and over and over again, because that's all I had in me to do. And I wouldn't call that bad. It was actually a really sweet time. And then there have been other seasons where I've done like deep Lenten studies. You can have both. So whatever it is that you're feeling pulled to, start there and see what happens. Yeah, no, that's really great advice. I love that. Well, the last question I think I want to end on, because the podcast is called Human Together, Mm -hmm. I'd love to know what it is about Holy Week, what it has taught you or how it has formed you to live more communally alongside Mm. God and other people. Yeah, it's great. Holy Week is a story, not just of Jesus, but it's the story of all the people around him, how they were affected, how they showed up for each other, how they related to him. And Seeing that and recognizing that has really helped me step into how I relate to other people as well. It is, of course, the story of Jesus, Holy Week. But the goodness of God is that in the midst of all that, there are so many stories of other people because it's for us, the his people. And recognizing that there's a place for me in all of that story is really a beautiful thing. And then therefore making space for other people. So it looks like for me, inviting others into study, it looks like inviting others over for last supper. It looks like a big open house on Easter traditions that remind me of my family and my childhood connecting generations and just trying to be a place of welcome I know I keep going back to it, but it's that image of like the door being opened for Peter and the other disciples on that day. That's where Easter starts. And I want to be a part of that. And so how can I be a place of welcome and opening the door for others is just a huge, huge gift as we get to relate to each other. Yeah, I love that. I love that. (laughs) It's actually a phrase I use fairly often and my forthcoming book is talking about becoming a place and people of welcome. So as mm-hmm. soon as you said that, like, I felt like my, <laughs> my big smiles and That's just wanted so to good. like Arsenio Hall hand. That's it. I'm here in the air. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so good. And it's cause it's, it is how God designed it all to be. That's why it's good. It stirs up something in a deeper place when you mm-hmm. think of embracing that posture and how Jesus himself had that posture yeah, with us right. and has that posture with us. Yes, that's it. Yeah. If we could just be a fraction of that, imagine what the church could be for the world and how beautifully transformed the whole world could be. That yeah. just has me so excited that 
all of us get to play a small part in that. Right. And if each of us did, then it is small because it can feel overwhelming in the in, yes. in its entirety. That's right. But if we each in our own little lives, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it. We're people of welcome. Yeah. Oh, so okay. good, Jess. Well, I know that the Lenten season has already begun, but it is not too late to connect with you and to join in reading Peace in the Dark. So how can I direct people your way? Where can they find you? Yeah, so you can go to jessicaherberger.com and there's a Peace in the Dark page there, which will have everything for signing up for the Lenten study getting the book, getting all the order bonuses. And we do have that open. It's not a pre-order thing. We have it open through Easter because it is a season where we are just constantly inviting people in. So join us and get all those great Holy Week resources as well as everything else. Besides that, um, my Substack's linked there, my Instagram, and those are the places you'll find me as well. It's really generous of you. And I know you're so intentional in inviting people into that and walking through Peace in the Dark. I know that you're excited about the book coming out, but even just wanting to walk alongside people through these next several weeks. And I'm excited to send people your way. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's not a terribly long book, but there's so much there to chew on. And so to have the space of six and a half weeks of Lent, if you're able to join for the whole thing, is great. Um, the, the flip side is if you have two weeks, you'll be fine. And so it hopefully leaves a lot of room for it to fit in with people's real lives and to have everyone just invited in to reconsider this day, because I really do believe there's so much there for us that will help us in our real lives. And that has me excited. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. It was good to hear more about some of the stories behind the book and just glean from your wisdom and your study. Oh, thank you. It was so fun to be together. Thank you for listening to Human Together. If you resonated with today's episode, I hope you'll share the show with a friend, leave a rating or review to help others find us and come back next week for another conversation on the communal life. In the meantime, you can also find all the ways to connect with me and my work at sarahewestfall.com. Human Together is hosted by me, Sarah E. Westfall, and is produced and edited by Ben Westfall. The theme music is Sit With Me, written and performed by Sarah Scarborough.